0: This week, I'm pleased to announce that Priante is receiving the support of Violast Gift Box. And a few weeks away from Christmas, I'm sure this can be very useful for you. The concept: Violast Gift Box creates and prepares for you beautiful gift boxes filled with love and tastefully selected products for newborns, mother, or young parents. And you will even find the excellent chocolate La Flore, produced by my guest of today, Laura Sharley. If you are interested, you can find the link in the description below. And Viola's gift box even offers 10 francs to the listeners of this episode with the code BRILLANT in capital letters. And now, it's time for the new episode of BRILLANT. Welcome to BRILLANT, the podcast with a French accent which gives a voice to women who move the lines, My name is Jeanne Dussartel and between Zurich, where I live, and Paris, where I come from, my goal is to meet the sparkling, powerful, talented and inspiring women with their typical backgrounds and beautiful projects, to understand what drives them and makes them move forward. Discussions that I hope will encourage you to think outside the box, cross your boundaries and develop your own brilliant projects. First of all, I don't know how to pronounce your last name.
1: Schallgli. It's a very Swiss name. Yeah,
0: it's not... This is not an
1: easy <laughs> it's one. It's terrible. When I was living in the United States, it was terrible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to find her, all you have to do is to go to the fresh market on Zurich's Alvetia Platz, very early in the morning. Laura Schallgli knows all the producers by their first names and comes to buy her food for the week, always fresh, local and seasonal the Slow Food Advocate, then runs to her office, the Zurich Chocolate Factory La Flore. In this discussion, you will find out what pushed the young designer to change her career plans and devote herself to food. In 2014, Laura creates Mesa and offers different classes with one ambition, to reintroduce people to the pleasure of eating well and to teach the value of food and the benefits of cooking.
1: We went to visit a lot of farmers and just the passion and the work that goes into food, that people put into food, is something that people don't realize when they consume food. And that is really, that funnels me and I think that's why I love to go to the farmers market because I talk with the farmers and I see how they are and it like really inspires me for my work. With Laura, we talk about organic and local
0: agriculture about supermarkets and fresh markets, about vegetarianism and animal blood or about the scandals that lies behind bananas and chocolate production. We also talk about her journey as an entrepreneur and in particular about her latest creation La Flore, an ethical chocolate factory in the heart of Zurich which aims to produce a qualitative and tasteful chocolate respectful of the environment. A small revolution in the country which produces more than 10% of the world's chocolate market. I really enjoyed this rich conversation full of good tips for everyone interested in what they put in the plates. I recommend it to you very warmly, especially before the holiday season. So plug in your headphones and enjoy! So dear Loja, thank you very much for accepting my invitation. I'm super happy to have you. Today we're going to talk about food, about slow food, gastronomy, chocolates. Super nice subject, also just before Christmas. We are in a very specific space here, place called das Provisarium. Can you explain me what kind of uh, place is it?
1: Yeah, so we're here in Zürich Pins, right by the train station, inside of the old Bakery of Bäckerei Buchmann. So here there used to be a lot of bakers working. We're, right here we're in the conditoreille part. Uh-huh. And das Provisorium is a co-working space all around food. And most of it is office space. And we installed uh, our chocolate factory here in the old croissant room. Very mm. nice.
0: <laughs> so I always like to, to ask, what did you think when you heard this name, Brillante? for the first time what did it make you think of and do you have an example of a sparkling woman someone that you would like
1: to tell me about that has been inspiring you so I think that the first thing I thought about is just sparkle. And I always i am very inspired by uh, the eyes, like sparkling eyes. And a lot, I go to visit a lot of um, food producers. And I love when there's like this sparkle in the eye when people talk or anything they're passionate about. So um, I always get very inspired by people that have the sparkle in their eyes. So it makes me think of eyes. And then a woman, I feel like I go through phases and I always, at the moment, I'm really into, and I've been following her and reading about her and watching her, especially because of the, I want to see her, is, um, Elisabeth Kubler ross She's a Swiss who studied medicine and then moved to the United States, and she was really researching death and life after death. Uh-huh. And she did, um, Sterbebegleitung. So, she accompanies people in their last moments before they die okay. and especially kids. And she did a lot of research about it. And I think I'm a little bit influenced by this year by Corona and death because death is kind of so close. I mean, it's always here, but it's just, you know, the fear that is around. So maybe that's why I found her. And I'm just like, she talks about death in such a beautiful way. And she totally took my fear of it because she says it's so beautiful and she's actually more scared of life than of death so her work is very inspiring and I just discovered her now this summer so she's at the moment for me the the woman that's inspiring me
0: very nice so um, can you tell me a bit where were you born and raised yeah give me a quick overview so Mm -hmm. we can we can understand a bit more who you are
1: So I was born in Zurich and I was raised just outside of Zurich. I um, went to high school in Zurich and my father is a photographer from arts and my mother was very into sports and she was a tennis teacher. So I grew up between these two worlds of art and sports.
0: So food was not a topic at the not time? Not at
1: all. And a p- lot of people think I come from this very romantic background, but actually I grew up with fish tabli, fetic pizza, and I mean, we enjoyed food, but it was never the topic and it was not health was not at all um, the focus. So how did you get interested into, the, into this topic? My grandparents lived in Italy and every summer, every vacation, I went to visit them. So I was with them for four to five weeks in the summer. And we were so many people at the house that there was always um, somebody from the town that came to cook for us for lunch. And we really, I got into that Italian culture, not by going into restaurants, but really eating the primo piotto, secondo piatto, And that sitting at the table and that Italian way of enjoying food, uh-huh. I always had a glimpse of in the summer. So I kind of knew the flavors and I knew, but in my daily life here back in Zurich, it was all back to Fishtabli. Platzley and things like that such a crazy
0: transformation <laughs> now
1: <laughs> actually I, then when i moved to new york i moved to new york when i was 19 and then i really started to see the food and the food system and in the united states you have such extremes in the food system that then i started to pay attention to it
0: yeah because you actually moved to new york for your studies uh, you were studying design and working a little bit in the field a few years. Uh, Why did you decide to study design in the first row?
1: I grew up with a lot of art, my dad being an art photographer, so he photographs for uh, museums, collections, but also for artists. And when I uh, discovered design, I discovered, ah, oh, aesthetics can also have a functionality because I just knew aesthetics, visual, how beautiful it is, you know, how what an impact it has. on But that design has a, f- a functionality to it and I felt very drawn to that. Uh-huh. So I studied design management. At that time, you wasn't able to study that in Zurich, or in, now you can study it in Zurich and in Luzern. But I saw that university and I just knew, like, I want to go and study this. And I saved a lot of money. I, after the Schule, I worked for a year. I put a lot of money aside. I was very determined. I don't know where I have that drive from, but I was just like, I want to go to New York and I want to do this. So And, and mm. what
0: what did you want to become after this? What was your dream? the kind
1: of job that you would have done? I never really, and I still don't have those like very strong goals. I really believe uh-huh. in, n- I think in the beginning I didn't realize, but I just let myself go. I think if you just pay attention in the moment you are, the next step always comes. And if you plan too much, I think I would have, I mean, I would have never thought in my life that I was, I was going to be part owner of a chocolate factory in Zurich, you know, it's not part of my life, life so, plan at all. You you let it come
0: like this. Yes. Yeah, very nice. So when you were in, in New York, were studying design, you discovered that the food system was completely different. Mm-hmm. And you actually started working in the gastronomy there. How did all this occur? Yeah. Were you already thinking
1: that it could actually become something more and more interesting to you? So I didn't, I never earned enough money working in the design field. So on the weekends, Friday and Saturday evening, plus working a full-time job, I worked in like, that's the very American thing to do. You don't earn enough. You have several jobs. So I was working in 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 restaurants and I loved it. So I really followed my interest for food. But on the same time, I really got interested in the sustainability part of food. And why is it like in the United States, you have a lot of so-called food deserts and Places where you don't, the obesity is very high and Mm -hmm. you don't have access to fresh, healthy food. That was the beginning of 2000, so a lot has changed and there's a lot more community gardens and there's a lot um, different initiatives. But the distribution of of good food is really, really bad in the United States. And also that, you know, in New York, it's cheaper to go out to eat than it is to cook at home. I mean, already that idea is so strange.
0: Which is, it's not only in New York, like everywhere in Asia, for instance, it's it's also the same, I, I guess.
1: So I, I was working in the design field and I loved it and um, I was doing good and we always went to Milan every year for the Salone del Mobile and presenting our new design and at one point I was like this is like it doesn't make so much sense, you know. You always design these new things—a new chair. We do this, we do that. I mean, it's beautiful, but at one at one point, it's like, wow, it's all this consumption of all these design objects, and I just didn't really feel 100 percent comfortable in it. And I decided I go—I want to go to a cooking school. And I went into the cooking school, and the first week in the cooking school, I realized this is actually not the part of food that interests me but i had to like quit the job go into this cooking school and oh, then i was, was like it in new york yes still. it was the yeah. french culinary institute and you know i was learning how to chop onions two millimeters and is how it's called and i realized ah this is not what i want this is not but it yeah so and then i discovered so maybe you need to know also these parts to kind of be legitimate mm-hmm. yeah and I've done different stages. So I was following, um, this pastry chef, this vegan pastry chef, and I was going with her into different restaurants. So I was getting experience with, um, vegans, um, sweets. And, um, I was working, but I, then I realized, okay, I, I think it's an, I need to know this knowledge because what I learned studying design management is that in order, To create a a beautiful design of something, I need to understand a little bit the craft of a graphic designer or I need to understand a little bit of the craft of an industrial designer and I need to understand the client. All of these people speak different languages and how do you bring them together? So now with food it's a little bit i need to understand how chefs work i need to understand how a farmer works because each of them has different needs and you know a chef just wants to like pick up the phone and order 10 carrots in this 10 centimeter size and you know it's like all these different languages and i think the studies i had is was, was really working on that finesse between the different languages i love my studies the bachelor i did at in new york so
0: it's still it's still useful for you today yes and even today you're doing this project about packaging and, and um, for, for your chocolate factory. I guess this is also
1: very useful still for yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we have Zelia Zodor in our team and she's in charge of all the aesthetics, but I just kind of make sure does the aesthetics fit? Like, does it all make sense together?
0: But then you discovered the concept of slow food. Can you explain t- to me why did you get interested into the concept and what is it
1: exactly? First of all, this concept. What does it mean? I got very drawn to slow food because on the one hand, I was working in restaurants and I was really enjoying the good quality food. But on the other hand, I was really interested in the sustainability of the food. And slow food is a, is a philosophy that combines both. So slow food is about good, clean and fair food. So good food has to taste good you know I really believe in just you can't make an impact if something doesn't taste good Uh and I think it it goes through all my work you know the chocolate has to be good that we do I want you to like my chocolate not because it's a sustainable project because the cacao comes by sailboat instead of um, freight or I want you to like the chocolate. And I really believe in that. And with slow food, it has that philosophy. So I got really drawn into that. And I then discovered the University of Gastronomic Sciences in Piedmont, which is kind of a little bit the slow food university. And so I moved from New York to Italy, to Piedmont to do this master's in food culture and communications.
0: What is the most important thing that you learned there in your master's? We went to visit
1: a lot of farmers and just the passion and the work that goes into food that people put into food is something that people don't realize when they consume food. And that is really, that funnels me. And I think that's why I love to go to the farmer's market because I talk with the farmers and I see how they are and it like really inspires me for my work. So your aim then suddenly changed, and you were focusing
0: on sustainability, food. You started working in diff- for different companies, like here in Switzerland, for different shops, for different restaurants, but always in the topic. So
1: coming back after all this time in New York, you changed completely. The Laura was not the same anymore. Mm-hmm. I was so worried because I was gone for ten years. I left when I was nineteen. I came back I was twenty nine. I had no network. I, I mean I had my friends from but you know, I didn't know anybody in food. I was really I was I was a little bit scared, but I knew it was just gonna take time to build up a network. What was your first
0: impression when you came back to Zurich? What is the biggest difference between New York and Zurich in terms of
1: gastronomy? When I came back in 2011, I felt like there wasn't that much of a diversity, but I might have be, might, might be wrong also, but I didn't I didn't see that much of a of a movement around certain restaurants were doing it like really working close with farmers, but it wasn't um really communicated that strong. And um, now I feel like in the past ten years there's been a lot of change, and there's so many great and beautiful examples of people working close with farmers. And
0: do you have examples actually of nice restaurants in Zurich that you that are really
1: working together with the farmers in a sustainable way? So. Wirtschaft zum Franz, for example, they work with farmers directly. Then CZ um, works also directly with farmers who you've already interviewed, right? Yeah, from the clay restaurant. Yes. Yeah. And I think the best example for me is Erestant Jakob in Rapperswil. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, they closed, but they really did the effort of going every week to the farmer, to Matthias Hollenstein, who is close to Rapperswil. So they really had their own yeah, I think actually restaurant diocope is the best example.
0: When we talk about slow food and when we we understand the concept, so being sustainable, having good food, good products, what is the best way for us when we don't work
1: in gastronomy to promote slow food, in your opinion? To start cooking, to mm-hmm. start paying attention to what you buy and to start cooking. I think we really can make an impact if we start cooking. And people think I have a lot of time to cook and that I cook great things and it's not true i i cook very simple i buy just if you buy good things from the market first of all they last long so you never have to worry about that you have to throw them away or that they go back in the fridge and they're very simple to cook you know you make nice salads now in the winter i make more oven vegetables like i just put everything in the oven I mean, I buy all the different vegetables, onions, garlic, potatoes, pumpkin. I just cut it all and put it in the oven, make like a sauce with it or very simple. And uh, if you buy a good piece of cheese and a good piece of bread and good vegetables and herbs and things like that, you really don't have to spend a lot of time cooking. So if I, if I mean you can make an impact by cooking, I don't mean like you have to start making these huge menus and, uh-huh. but then you can just start cooking and don't buy things that are processed
0: but you are talking about the main topic maybe which is the fresh market first mm. or at least where do you get the food because you need these good products yeah so you are really involved in this fresh market you are promoting them you made some tours on the fresh markets uh, i saw some interviews of you on the fresh market in elvetza plat since when are you so aware of the importance
1: of the fresh market? I think it started in New York because there's a lot of fresh markets in New York. Uh, before, when I was growing up, I never went to a fresh market before. I'm I, In New York, I discovered it and I be, then became part of a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. So once a, a week, the farmer drove to New York and into this uh, community garden. and We went to pick up our vegetables, which we also have here in Zurich. So if you don't have time... To go to the fresh market, there's a lot of initiatives where you can actually where you get your vegetable box in the community-supported agriculture uh-huh. way. But there is something very beautiful in going to the fresh farmer's market. And yes, it means you might have to get up a little bit earlier. You have to take your vegetables along to work, which I do. But there's great ways around it. And I promise you, there's nothing more beautiful to start the working day to go to the market.
0: There are some markets here in Zurich, but there are not so many. Mm -hmm. Coming from France, I I really see the difference. And I see that people are not really... It's more like kind of a certain type of person or people that have time or people that consider that they have time, as you say, because everyone could find the time and i mean also the fresh markets in the center of zurich are often during the week there are not so many during the weekend and uh, why is it like this why do you think it's something that's not so developed here
1: i I don't know why there's and there's been initiatives at seal city they're doing what i don't know if it's still going on it to build up a market takes time but i there's 11 markets in zurich per week so there is quite a few markets sometimes they're very small. I don't know why there's not that many markets because there's there is farmers around but it is we ha- we and do they are have so
0: close actually farmers are just at the just at the doors of the city mm-hmm. like even inside the city sometimes there are farmers which is which is something so specific also to Switzerland.
1: but there is even if you think there's a lot of like small cute farms there actually aren't that many around i mean i think we always have to also I have to remind myself that i am very much in a bubble and sometimes on saturdays i go into lezzy park and i watch what people buy just to get myself back on the ground because people buy very industrial the cheapest food and then i always know i have a lot of work to do but going back to the farmers there's n- not i don't think there's that many farmers who really grow a diversity of things that they can go to the farmer's market and most um, stands at the market are people that go to the ongo merde and buy things there.
0: There is one thing that I, I think is still difficult for most people is that it's more expensive to go to the fresh market
1: and even vegetables can be more expensive. Easy, especially if you buy things from people that bought it from other people. Yeah. Everybody has to make money off of it. And then the price is higher. But you also it's always a question what is the real price of vegetables and fruit? And in in the supermarkets, the margin that they put it's a uh, vegetables and fruit is a look product. So they don't need to they make money with the toilet paper, with a dishwashing soap and things like that. So the prices you have You cannot compare the kilo prices of fruit and vegetable when you go to the market because that's not the real price. If you go to a stand and you buy vegetables directly from a farmer, that is the real price they need. There is no marketing costs. There is no transportation costs, you know, and the salary of a farmer is extremely low. I think it's they start at 3,800 francs and we go to the market and we say, oh, the vegetables are so expensive. And there's a lot of, like, issues in that whole thing.
0: Yes, but this this disconnection between the supermarket and the fresh market is not helping.
1: No, it's not. Then they
0: should kind of, I don't know, find a way to uh, put the price together and compare the pricing and make sure that they are not, you know… Because
1: they are creating a disadvantage, actually, for the fresh market. But it's if you buy seasonal, come to me with a market and I will show you how to shop and you will spend less than if you go to the supermarket. But you really have to buy very seasonal food. That's anyway, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course, but I will, um, so crazy I spend... to find
0: strawberries I... uh, uh, now in November or something. Which Yeah, yeah you are...
1: just really... Sometimes it is true. When the first strawberries come or the first, the price is high and Uh you just wait a little bit and the prices you just can't if you really want to buy on a budget you just can't go to the market and buy anything you want you can't do that i don't do that i like i'm very price sensitive And like, I really pay attention, but I really feel like I spend much less in the market. And your your money is well spent. Yes, because the money goes directly to the people that produce the food.
0: We're talking about what to buy, when to buy it and stuff. There are these kind of dilemmas that come all the time that people ask again and again. And I would like to ask you again and again. (laughs) When you have to choose between buying something organic, coming from a bit far away, or something that is not organic, locally produced... What should we choose? How should we get the right
1: information to know what is the most sustainable, actually? Yeah, it's a really difficult question. And it, at the end, it has to do with uh, resources, how much energy is used. And there is, as a fact, like, for example, if you grow tomatoes here because you have the, that label mini-region, dini-region, or like all those local labels, and they, they use so much energy. To grow those tomatoes that don't taste of anything, but anyway we need our tomatoes in the winter. It actually, uses more resources than if a tomato comes from south of Italy with yeah, a truck. Yeah, you'd rather come with a truck. So and... the transportation is a whole is a tricky thing, and um, it's it's really about resources. And I think the best thing you can do is buy. Things directly from the producers. And it takes a little bit of effort, but there's a lot of organization. There is gibbana there is Crowd Container, there are the markets there. If you don't have time, there's a lot of companies where you can order online, where you can have things delivered, where you can go and pick up things. Like there is no excuse to buy directly. Crowd Container, you can have great products from Sicily, from India. Like they have great and beautiful things. And I think. You can have things from far, but you need to pay attention. How does it come? Where does it come from? And how is it like? through how many hands does it go? And what's the transparency? If you buy a product, like, is it written the farm where it comes from? And that goes right then to me into the chocolate. If you buy a bar of chocolate, do you know where the cacao comes from?
0: Yeah, because I saw a quote from you from 2016 where you were basically saying that it doesn't really make sense to be vegetarian or vegan when you actually eat chocolate or bananas.
1: Yes. Can you explain me a bit? Why, why did you say this? Uh, Because, uh, wait. So I was, uh, so I was saying it doesn't make sense to be vegan if you, uh, if you eat things from afar if you eat things that
0: bananas and chocolate are quite specific also because yes. they, there is child work involved there is uh they, they are, these yes. are two goods that are really um controversial and that are yeah that i are many scandals behind
1: yeah i mean it's the first thing the first image that comes to my mind is um when last time when i was in ecuador what really like broke my heart is like seeing the banana productions and seeing how industrial and with the chemicals and the people working on that those farms are like they're like dressed that they're, they're in a chemistry lab like an all white and they're like spraying stuff everywhere and it's like for us to eat these bananas like i i just like for me banana is like the symbol of our culture like we have to eat our banana it makes me so upset on the other hand i have friends in uganda who have this beautiful book um, I'll show it to you afterwards. It's about banana varieties. It's so beautiful. There's so many different banana varieties. And just in Uganda, there's like 30 different banana varieties. So you can't just say banana is back. But the way we, um, I think it's 11 million banana boxes that are exported daily out of Ecuador for our consumption. Like even here in Helvetia Plots, I can buy the stupid bananas that don't taste of anything. And they're so cheap. It's true that it's so crazy. I was talking about strawberries,
0: but actually, During the at least they are not stored the full year in the supermarket, but bananas are full year in the supermarket and they they are the cheapest the
1: cheapest fruit that you can find. So so I know I think eating with less animal products uh, I think is really important and we all have to do it for the environment, for the health, and also for for the animals, for the animal healthcare. But I feel that there's been a lot of change in people that I know that are very, like, um, vegan focused, like Lauren Wildbolz, And she pays a lot, a lot of attention on where things come from and seasonality. So just, I think there was at one point, I just, I'm a little bit sensible to the people that eat vegan, but don't really pay attention where, where things come from. from and the resources that are used. And I mean, we all see those images of the farmer workers in Spain. And the you know the things that are happening there. Well, there's always we, we read about it constantly, but then we still go to Copomigo and we buy like the Spanish uh, vegetables, and that to me this doesn't make so much sense.
0: I agree. I, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> you are so you are not vegetarian. No, <laughs> we understood. We are going to come back to this after. But so coming back to Zurich, as we said, you've been gathering some years of experiences in different shops and different places where you were always working with uh, around sustainability and food if you had to pick one thing that you learned as an employee what would you say before turning to entrepreneurship what i learned is if
1: i would have my own company how i would deal with my employees and just not seeing employees as kind of a machine but more as a human being and that every person needs a little bit different needs and if I come five minutes late to work that doesn't mean that I don't do my work well and I always felt very limited by a lot of the rules of being an employee so I always knew that I want to change things if I myself have a company. So you decided in 2014 actually to launch
0: your own company? Called Sobremesa, so I guess it was then coming from this need of freedom,
1: maybe. Or I grew up already in a family of uh, like my dad had his own company, so I like growing up in an environment where my dad is um, freelance and he has his own studio. I. When I started to work as an employee, I felt I was like, ooh, very limiting and inhibiting. <laughs> so I actually knew it was for me very natural that I would have my own. I never really thought about it. It happened automatically. And I knew that fear of starting your own thing. I think growing up with it and seeing that every month the income is different. And sometimes my dad was just like spending and buying gifts and the next month he just didn't have anything and you know he told us he's like hey look I just like now don't have any money and <laughs> I then, have the same father <laughs> so but what I did learn I am much more I save much more and I'm way way more careful than my dad because my dad was just a bony and just when he had it he spent it and it was great and I'm and growing up as kids it was great but <laughs> but it wasn't always like for my mom not always so easy
0: so why was it the right time in 2014? Why did you decide this year to launch your own concept, your own business? Yeah, I I had the idea that I wanted to do because with slow food we were already
1: with slow food youth the organization. Because yeah,
0: in the meantime you were still the, you became the president of this organization here yeah, of slow in food Switzerland. youth.
1: Yeah. yeah, so we were doing a lot of events and things around there. But then I realized like I really so. I was working in a restaurant where I met uh, one of my now business partners, Ivo Müller, at at Rosso, and I was taking care of him. Front there was the Röstli, and I did um, get the Geschäftsführung from that place for two years, and then.
0: So you were the manager of this place for yes,
1: yeah, for two years, and then there was Das Pure, which is a at that point was more a meat and fish smokehouse in Wetzikon, and so I wanted to really go and work at a producer, so I went to Patrick Marx and worked with him, and there we started to do events in his smokehouse and i really loved the fact of like bringing people into a production place and and the impact it had on the people so i really started to work more on events and i had so many ideas on things and i still have you know like the the thought like i want people to eat more pulses so lentils and beans it's such a healthy thing it's very sustainable and it's so delicious if you can see the variety of what one can do with it. And in Switzerland, it's, everybody thinks like, oh, and it's like, But there's so much more. So I was like, OK, I want to do a workshop on this. But I have to find people. So the thing about Sobre Mesa is always that I find people. <laughs> so this actually comes back to your podcast. My rule is that I do workshops with people that have sparkle in their eyes when they talk about their subject. It can be spices, it can be herbal tea, it can be normal tea, it can be any. I feel like there's and through food you communicate so much, and there's so much to learn. So, so as you said, then you launched
0: your concept, which is called Sobremesa, mm-hmm. which is your company. So it's it's based on these classes that you give yes. in the beginning. So you, as you just explained, you are you are giving some different classes. You have also different topics, uh, also like natural wine.
1: Spices, um, yeah, cooking with spices because there's a lot of good, imp- yes. And um, I got supported by Bachse Mert, which is a great organization. And they they were going to open up a new shop in Kalkbreite. And they came to me and they were like, hey, Laura, would you be interested in doing workshops? And then I was like, well, yes, but I want to have my own company. So we started like a shop in shop inside of the Bachse Mert, There's an eight meter long table. So on the weekends and after the shop closed, we took everything away from the vegetable counter and we started to do workshops in there. It was very beautiful. Beautiful, but it was also very tiresome and we still do it now on for last weekend we we're supposed to do workshops again in bachse but because now we have to have the distance of one and a half meters between each client we weren't able to do it so we did it here at the provisorium so we had the workshop leaf to root so cooking the whole vegetable and discovering the vegetables because it's mind-blowing how people are scared of food or they feel uncomfortable with food and I'm really trying with the workshops to inspire people to give them more knowledge that they don't feel like oh can I still eat this and can I eat that or like people are like very unsecure because we're so distanced to food and with the workshops we're trying to inspire people to be a little bit more like hey I can try this and I can stand to my choice of wine I like this wine you know like pasta like i like this wine like i like this music band and not because somebody's telling me that i have to like another wine so how was it for you
0: to become an entrepreneur have you been supported also financially have you been doing everything by yourself did you have this clear concept in your mind how did you create all this
1: just for us to understand the kind of entrepreneur that you are Mm -hmm. First of all, I've always saved money and I've always been very careful with money, but I've always done projects and I've always, I've never really worked in an environment where I've made a lot of money. So, you know, I've never worked in a, in a bank, in or... a bank. So I'm like, I've never got used to like that high lifestyle, which I do see people who want to transfer, but they've, they're in such a high lifestyle that it's very difficult then to transfer into a much less, like, you know, spending less. But, I started Sobre Mesa because I already got the space. I got supported by Borsa Mert. I didn't, I had to buy a couple of things, but it wasn't very, and I was also working on the side. So in the beginning, I was always doing this part time. And at one point it was working and I was able to pay myself a salary that it was very natural that I had to stop with the other jobs. But I did have at some point in Zurich, I had three jobs at the same time while I was building up. Before Sobremesa, I was also doing a magazine called Hoppen, but then I yeah. realized text is not my way of communication at all. <laughs> it's workshops. And then Sobremesa, and then it, it grew. And now Sobremesa is so far that I have Emmanuel Lobeck, who does the Geschäftsleitung, and he takes care of everything at Sobremesa. Just for me to,
0: to make sure, Sobremesa comes from the Spanish expression yes what can you explain a bit what what does it mean so, so what is the concept sobre
1: mesa is in spanish is this moment when you sit at the table and you already ate and you drank maybe you're like eat a piece of fruit or you have another like digestivo or you just it's that it's those that happen in portuguese it means dessert which is also nice but i just that the table talks
0: when it can last for hours and hours drinking more coffee
1: or drinking more mm-hmm. wine. And I love or... those moments. I think they're very precious.
0: So from <laughs> all those classes that you've been doing, first of all, if you had to pick one subject that is really important for you, which one would it be? Oh. The one that puts the most sparkles in your eyes.
1: Oh, uh, I think it's the uh, Japanese fermentation methods with Christine. Uh-huh. Just because fermentation is a beautiful way of um, transforming food, keep for longer and making it more much more nutritionally valuable. And this has a lot of cultural and history in it, and it gives you a lot of power if you start to ferment yourself. It gives you as a consumer a lot of power. I feel. And which which one is the the most successful place? It's the schöner Saufen class that I've been doing since the beginning so it's the wine course that, uh, Schöner Saafen, which means to drink more beautifully uh-huh. it's a course I developed together with Herzog und Vombach uh-huh. they're their, um, wine journalists and they have their own agency by now but when we started, they were still employed and they did their path very beautifully. And we've developed on natural wine, Swiss wine, sparkling wine. But the one that works the best is just a Kruzlegong wine. And we do it every month. And it's always fully booked. And it's just what, what the essence in this course is. Drinking wine is like listening to music. You have to find your own style. There's no right or wrong. Just because they say the French Bordeaux is the best wine doesn't mean that it has to be your flavors. That might be something that from Austria you prefer way more. Or, and also that wine, and this is something that a lot of people don't realize. Wine is an agricultural product and farmers are behind it. And I think Madeleine talks about it really well. And also with you in the podcast, cause I listened to it and it's very beautiful the way she speaks about it. And the impact also on nature that wine production has is huge and people don't realize it. So we really have to get away from this industrial wine production. And um, so those are the things you learn. You don't, yeah. when you come to our wine course, it's not about this is the grape that's right and this is the grape that's not, you know, it's really about you have to pay more attention. Yeah, I think she was really,
0: so this Madeline Meyer from Edwin Uncorked, I think she was really interesting on, for instance, saying that Switzerland has to be careful not to create mass production, because it's going to be very dangerous, actually, for for the wine from Switzerland, and not going to improve the quality
1: at all. In general, I think people in switzerland think we have such a beautiful production and uh, food production or it can be wine or anything else but our waters are very polluted even 20 minutes writes about it and people still think it's all fine in switzerland it's not like it's our water is really polluted and most of it comes from agriculture but
0: this is maybe something that i heard the most when i moved here swiss people telling me that it was the best water ever that i could drink (laughs) yes interesting what you say now so one of the topics that you were talking about with sobremesa is the blood cooking with blood what is wh- where does this come from <laughs> so what is this idea of cooking actually, with blood yeah
1: my brother um he also studied uh, it's funny my brother as well as me we both work in food my mm-hmm. brother now um is works in wine and he Also studied at the University of Gastronomic Sciences and with his bachelor, his thesis was on blood and blood sausage and how it has to do with our culture. And I was working at Daspure at the moment, which is where we were working with meat. And my brother was doing like 15,000 recipes with blood sausages at Daspure, and I started eating it and I really started to like the flavor. I mean, again, I did not grow up with any of Metzgete at all. Like uh, I grew up with Würstle. You know? yeah. <laughs> and um, my brother wrote this manifesto that I then took and I made it real. Because he did his thesis with it. And I really liked the work so much that I was like, I want to make this real. So I started to make dinners. I invited chefs to do these dinners, bloody spontaneous cuisine, where I wanted them to work with elements of blood i started to work two whole recipe collections um on our on my website sobre mesa there's the whole recipe collection because my point is that blood is every day here in zurich an animal has several liters of blood depending which animal and there's a lot of protein in it there's very little fat in it it's actually a very healthy protein source and we decide not to eat that because we're in such a privileged time that we can pick no i want to eat this protein but i don't want to eat this protein even if Animal blood is thrown away. Leaders and leaders and because this the slaughterhouse in Zurich is too small, they don't collect it. L- very large slaughterhouses collect it and they do other products with it. Yeah, so you
0: uh, with your with your little bottle of blood like like a smoothie. Could, <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: yeah, well, it's a very beautiful ingredient to cook with, and it's not. I'm not saying you have to eat blood, but it, this manifesto was really about just. Giving people a little bit an idea like, hey, an animal has more than just the steak part. There's also the blood and it's a very rich nutritional source of protein. It's easy to cook with. And so I started to do all these recipes and very beautifully is that it has the same properties as egg egg is a whole other issue um, on sustainability and production of chickens and eggs so you can replace blood with egg and you can use in brioche you can you know i Crazy. started so i started then to do these blood um workshops which we did at mitzg and they were great i loved it i wish i would have time to do it more and there's a very beautiful recipe from rome a sanguinaccio or from southern italy where you cook blood with chocolate and it's like a pudding and you flavor it and it's very your eyes are going no but it's really delicious i had it um, a couple of years ago and it really changed my uh the flavor it's a very it goes very well together
0: no i i <laughs> i must say i'm not eating so much meat but i used to eat a lot of boudin so this oh, this yes. uh this actually these blood sausages and it's, it's something really cultural in the end i mean in france it's really known that you eat this with apple and it's really common and i have the feeling that here indeed people are not really eating this kind of sausages so i think this is really something cultural but that's true that i saw you also cooking some r- ravioli with blood um now you're talking about this pudding or replacing eggs by blood and stuff and this is something that i guess you need to be really convinced
1: <laughs> yeah and, <laughs> and before I- taking the blood and really yeah and then i did i went to visit a slaughterhouse where they gave me the fresh blood of the cow but they wanted me to come and see how the cow is killed first and the same i did it several times with pigs and it gives you a whole other i mean i was lucky i I mean i only went to small slaughterhouses. but the people that kill those animals is very beautiful and i recommend everybody who eats meat go and watch how the animals are killed and then you will pay much more attention where you buy the meat from i mean it's sounds a little bit crazy that i say it but it's a very beautiful craft the way the people kill those animals and they're very gentle with them they're very respectful with the animals and then they cut it open and like the inside comes out i mean it looks like a piece of art the colors and like it's incredible when
0: this is done in a respectful way and when it's like in the small places and because of course there are way more scandals and uh yes and
1: industrial meat production of course and the problem
0: is that people just don't realize that it's actually an animal when they buy a piece of chicken because it's under a plastic protection and it doesn't look like chicken and it doesn't look like
1: a beef or whatever Mm -hmm. and yeah No, that that kind of meat it really breaks my heart
0: yeah Mm. So after four years working for Sobremesa, you are still actually working with Sobremesa, but in twenty eighteen you developed the next project. This time it's not blood anymore, it's it's chocolate. So you developed your chocolate manufacturer called La Flore. Where did
1: the idea come from? Actually I started working on La Flore in two thousand fourteen or twenty fifteen together with Celia Zadra who I met when we did a pop-up called Wood Food and she would did all, all the graphics for it. And the book, she then did uh, Wood, the Wood Food book. And I really enjoyed working with her. And we had this idea that we wanted to do a transparent chocolate factory in Zurich, that where people can really understand the craft of making chocolate and giving transparency and respect to a product that has come very industrial in Switzerland. And the team grew. It took us a long time to build up this company. It was also much more like Sobre Mesa. I started with no... I mean, I started a GmbH. I started... My mom lent me 20,000 francs. I opened up the GmbH. I gave her the 20,000 francs back, which I think now you cannot do anymore. But I started very low budget with a couple thousand francs. Love flow is a whole other story. We're in Age, We're four people in the founding team, two women to men so celia me and then heini schwarzenbach and ivo müller from Rosso, who i used to work with years ago and it took us four years to build up this company and it was a lot of investment it's buying the cacao it's buying the machines and so where did you find the money have you been yeah it was then. all our own money Okay. Um, it's our own money we started with like three hundred thousand is the og and we have a chocolate club which is our kind of crowdfunding you can become part of our chocolate club and you give us a dollar uh-huh. of a thousand francs and you get a good shine every year for 210 francs for chocolate or workshop so then you can come and we send you when we're doing chocolate tests and things like that so we do have also a crowdfunding part
0: so what was your idea then? Because Switzerland is known for its chocolate. Swiss manufacturers such as Nestle, Lind and Springley hold more than 10% of the world chocolate market. Here in Zurich, there is Barry Caibo, uh, which is the world's largest purchaser of chocolate. So what was your idea? To what extent did you, were you sure that you could maybe compete or change the sector, you know, or find a place just in yeah. the market?
1: I think we don't compete with them because they the way they work is very different than we do. We're very craft focused. I mean, the machines we have, we work in a much, much smaller scale. We focus on flavor. We don't focus on efficiency of the machines. If we would want to focus on efficient to make the most chocolate uh, the fastest, we would have to work very differently. We focus on each farm, each cacao has a characteristic. And it's that kind of like apple varieties or grape varieties or cherry varieties. It's a beautiful diversity. And what we do is one farm, one chocolate. So that single farm, single origin idea, and to give the value back to the people that produce the cacao, because the impact we have even if it's very small farms but I was just in Colombia in February and the impact and the value that I write the name of their place on the bar has a huge impact on them huge sometimes we forget that but me I see us as a chocolate producers I mean I want to make great chocolate for you and if you want to know more behind it there's a whole story behind it but it's not like it's not a marketing tool and we don't you know that we're organic and that we work very Clean and transparent. That's not, I don't want you to buy the chocolate because of that. I want you to buy the chocolate because it tastes really good at the end. And because it's beautiful. (laughs) <laughs> thank you thank you yeah we do and it's just you know the whole thing on sugar cacao is a very healthy thing but if the more sugar you add to it in the industry you know the chocolate is more like a candy and i wish chocolate would be viewed as a food not as a candy and it's a very nutritious food you can't eat too much of our, the dark chocolate that we make you can't eat too much of it because it very it's like um you know it's ascetic yeah. ticket like a yeah it makes you it makes you feel a fool Mm -hmm. so we do make like a milk chocolate but we make a dark milk chocolate with not that much sugar with more cacao in it than there is sugar in it and just giving a whole transparency and to give the respect back to the chocolate and it's a very swiss thing the chocolate but i feel like there's still a lot of room for chocolate the way how we make chocolate we're in Zurich we're now four companies that do chocolate this way and I hope there's going to be more of it because I feel like we need to be more chocolate people that do chocolate in this way
0: so we understood that you were fighting for responsible food and everything but as you just said and as we talked about before chocolate has been really criticized. There is a lot of scandals behind so for the environment. So there are hectares of forests that are destroyed, for instance, in Côte d'Ivoire, because of the chocolate manufacturers. And some of them are here in Switzerland pretending to to make a fair chocolate, but actually using these protected forests and protected spaces. There are also a lot of social scandals, like people working in chocolate industries are not paid enough. Children are working. And uh, yeah, there are a lot of abusive situations
1: so why did you want to go in this field i think just with chocolate you can communicate a lot and i feel like there's still a lot like with all foods i think you can't say this food is bad and this is good really you have to pay attention where does it come from as you know it doesn't matter if it's a lentil a piece of meat a banana or a piece of chocolate and It wasn't really a conscious decision because I'm just as much interested in cheese or wine or wheat and bread and but chocolate just kind of like fascinates me and cacao and the farmers like I'm in love with all these farmers we work with. it sounds weird but it really is like i just i cacao has a beautiful effect on people and chocolate does too and i just i really i love it but i don't at all come from the chocolate industry and i don't at all like uh, know the industry well and but i i just i feel like you can um you can make people really happy with chocolate yeah that's why it's the
0: best gift ever for instance Uh, just can you make make us a little recap of the history of Switzerland and chocolate. Why is Switzerland so uh, known
1: for its chocolate? Do you know it? Uh, Well, I'm not like an expert in it, but uh, like as I understand is that so... I mean, the cacao came from South America it arrived like more in Spain in Italy first that's why in like in Modica in Sicily you still have the old style of chocolate production and then it became kind of mixed as a drink through England and high tea it became something fancy and mm-hmm. it became more like a, a high-end product and Switzerland then developed the machines and the milk chocolate industry like we were the ones who added the milk to it and made the milk chocolate and the conchieren is what we what what we invented the conch which mm-hmm. makes the chocolate really that flavor and that creaminess to it also the melting part of the chocolate and I melting guess. part and then yeah. always adding more and more sugar and then the industry made more a candy out of it and now, unfortunately, chocolate is a candy and it breaks my heart every time like you and even like you get like fancy, expensive chocolate and you turn it around and the first ingredient, please don't buy chocolate where the first ingredient on the list is sugar because you're buying sugar, not cacao. So please just don't buy that or, or please don't give it as a gift. But that's how far the industry has come. And we need to move back from that. So your chocolate from La
0: Flore, where exactly it come from? South America? Most of it yes. from what I read? Yes, yeah. and that's
1: by chance. I mean, we really, we've been, uh, Heini has been to Ghana to visit a farm. We just, you have to develop relationships with these people. So it's not that easy. And it's by chance right now that we have cacao from Brazil, Ecuador, Colombia, and Venezuela. And the cacao from Colombia came by sail freight. So zero emissions. I think the tran- whole transport industry is something also we should pay a little bit more attention to. I mean, people by know, now know that. Airplanes is really has a very strong impact, but so does um, the freight by, by boat. And it really has a very big impact on, on the sea and the noises it creates for the animals and the water. So there's this movement on transporting by sail and in, in the whole transport industry to create more larger uh, freight boats that use wind as a power not fossil fuels and so the, the so the cacao that arrived now by Colom- from colombia is by sale freight, and it's going to so come beautiful. again
0: yeah yes and how do you do to check everything every step because you have to make sure
1: that everything is done in a respectful way i guess i mean you can't be perfect right so i mean that the other cacao now that came from ecuador came in a container you know yeah. it took it was very delayed because of corona and ecuador was hit very very hard by corona and so so it's not it's just now this one cacao from ecuador but at least it's like you know trying to make a difference and, try, and you have to start somewhere you can it's like kind of like our packaging we didn't manage our first packaging had aluminium in it and it was always a goal we have to work without aluminium and plastic but now after two years we launched the packaging that is compostable that is you know plastic and aluminium free the drogés the chocolate covered almonds are still in the plastic bag but we're already we've invested a lot of time in it and it's just a matter of time until we can get away from that too but at the end I think when you're an entrepreneur and you you create your business uh, you know your business plan and you have like all these goals and at one point you just realize like okay I can't reach all my goals at once you just to have step to by like, step by <laughs> step step by step and it's Kind of like you get maybe criticized from the outside world, like, you know, but you just, I mean, reality is like, you just can't be perfect, or I mean, you can never be perfect, but it's like, you just have to do step by step. And like, you have your goals, you don't always have to communicate your goals, but we always knew we want to go away from this kind of packaging, but we had to start somewhere. So... Yeah, the daily process of trying to reach something and just enjoying the process as you go along with it. And I think that's a beautiful thing of when you have your own thing as you can just really enjoy the process.
0: I think that anyways, even if you're not perfect, and if, you, as you say, there are still some things that can be improved, I think it's beautiful that you showed that, that even in Switzerland, we can do something in different
1: ways. Mm-hmm. And I hope that we can maybe also inspire a uh, larger community companies to change but it's always a money question once you're like in yeah. this in this wheel of trying to be as efficient as most money making it's very difficult to like switch into other systems in all those projects i guess
0: something that's really important is the network the food network in your case that you've been developing around Zurich. to what extent has it been helping you how do you take care of your network and also do you think that there is a kind of sorority network of yeah women that has been particularly helping you maybe at Mm -hmm. some point
1: so i've always worked on my network very strongly but unconsciously i never really i didn't do it out of a, a goal but i just i think Having a network is really really important as an entrepreneur. You need to have the people around you that support you it's at the end of You meet somebody and you're like you have an exchange and you're thankful for it. And just if somebody invites me to talk that I afterwards, I mean, it's very small things, but writing a handwritten letter or sending a chocolate like has an impact on that person that they will invite you again and you can build up like without spending money, just paying attention, you can build up a very beautiful network. And I think as an entrepreneur, you really need a network around you. And everything you give out comes back. And
0: um, La Fleur actually is, is a great example. You developed it thanks to the people that you had been meeting
1: with all your experiences in mm-hmm. the gastronomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, the sisterhood is definitely like in gastronomy. I don't work anymore in the classic gastronomy, but the way women are treated in gastronomy is terrible. Um, Dominique Crenn in the United States. She's from France. I don't know if you've heard about her, but she does a lot of work on um, the way she handles her employees. And she's kind of like a, a, a very good example in gastronomy. But also, I'm part of actually two women in gastronomy groups, and we help each other. And we just, you know, just to sit at a table and to talk about how you're treated. And, and it doesn't, it's also journalism, food journalism, or working in a kitchen, working in service i mean it's really everything is you, still in the hands of men it's not, what no, is it exactly not, in, no i mean if you work like i worked a lot in service so the way you're treated as a woman when you serve food is really i mean uh, i could list you so many examples it's incredible but then also working in the kitchen just the comments because the kitchens usually are very male-dominated not everywhere there's a lot of um different places where i'm sure it's very different but uh, the classical kitchens and but then also the numbers are still very clear (laughs) yes
0: male dominated everywhere Mm -hmm. for the chefs for when you work when your little hand only in the kitchen but even if you have a higher position it's always male dominated it's exceptions when you find a chef that is a woman that has a some yes. success and i think it's like Tonya really...
1: Gonditz is a good example in Switzerland. Exactly. but as is like zizi or a leaf for me yeah. Yeah, there's several yeah but mm-hmm. few yes <laughs> very yes, few very compared few. to the amount that's of restaurants
0: that you find in zurich there are really few yeah that's why i started i did one of my first interviews with zizi because i was just trying to find women in gastronomy and i was like this is absolutely crazy yeah. i find two yeah. Next to my place that I can in interview in an easy way, yeah. Elif and Gigi and that's it. And Lene from Minsk. That's a good idea. Yes. <laughs> do you describe yourself as a feminist?
1: Yes. And how do you do to be a feminist? I just in my daily work. I'm not the kind of person that like speaks up and like, um, you know, like outward. But I think just in my daily work, the way I treat people, the way I am in my team, who I support. Mm.
0: We are coming to the end of the interview, so I have just short final questions now. First of all, where would you go tonight uh, if you would go to a restaurant
1: in Zurich? Oh, I wouldn't be able to decide. That's always like, mm. well, I haven't been to Zizi's in a long time, so I think I would go there. But you've, you've already like, um, I will also haven't been to Elives in a long time, Mitzk. Yeah. Um, so Elif Oskan from Gülrê restaurant. Okay
0: what are you scared of
1: not being able to pay the salaries of my employees
0: yeah i guess this is one of the biggest threats of being an uh, an entrepreneur
1: yeah it's like uh, i'm not worried about myself at all i'm more worried about the people around me but i mean it's but it's also the drive i mean the drive comes out of i mean not it's not it has to be this healthy fear if you get too fearful you start to make decisions that are not the right decisions but it is definitely a natural drive if you were a man for 24 hours what would you do (laughs) (laughs) I, i think i would i would just be interested in paying attention to my hormones in you know like how i like the emotions and the hormones of like my day so you would like analyze yourself analyze your body
0: (laughs) um something that inspires you one example of something that you could give us maybe for us to get into slow food or maybe for us to know more about chocolate or about
1: well my first thing would be to just pay attention in your daily i mean there's so many beautiful things around us in nature in like the seasonality and just seeing the leaves and right now the leaves and the trees and the colors i think in the the color of the sky how different it is every day but if we talk about slow food directly i think just starting to cook yourself you will be in, you will inspire yourself if you just dare to cook without too many recipes and just buying good things and just starting to cook what are you proud of Oh, I'm proud every time I in the morning when I come to work and I walk into La Flor, I'm super proud. I love it. <laughs> I understand. And who would you like to listen to in this podcast? Alessandro Roversi. She lives in Geneva and she does great work also on food. We do kind of similar work and I've done great projects with her and I love the way she talks about food.
0: Very nice. Thank you very much, Lara. It was super inspiring, super interesting. Thank you. I wish you a very nice day and good luck with all the work before Christmas. Thank you. Thanks to you who listened to this episode until the end. If you liked it and if you want to help me grow brilliant, it's very simple. Just subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform and share it with as many people around you as possible or on your social networks. This is really a great help for me. Merci à toi et à bientôt sur Brillante.